Welcome to the Southern Naturalist Podcast, Nature Notes Edition. These are shorter episodes where we read and discuss interesting information about nature, written by Bob Thomas, a naturalist and environmental educator in the greater New Orleans area for 50 years. My name is Amay Thomas, and Bob is my dad. We're both professors at Loyola University, New Orleans, and naturalist and fascinated by nature and all she has to offer. As the founding director of the Louisiana Nature Center, an avid nature lover who's a certified Louisiana master naturalist and a professor of environmental communication, I began writing nature notes based on natural history observations and in response to frequent questions. And there are hundreds of these nature notes that Dad started writing decades ago, so we're excited to share some of our favorites. We hope to encourage more people to experience the healing power of nature and develop a stronger will to protect it as our home. This Nature Note podcast is brought to you in part by the Loyola University Center for Environmental Communication. You can find all of the Nature Notes and more by visiting our website at lucec.loyno.edu. Do you know what that sound is? You're hearing one call of an alligator, the star of our first nature note. We could do many interesting nature notes on alligators, and we will, but we decided to focus on something specific many people wonder. Dad, what are we gonna talk about today? We're gonna talk about what alligators do in the winter. Uh, People are fascinated by alligators, all aspects of their natural history. And for some reason, uh, this article that was written several decades ago has averaged about six to 8,000 reads per year. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So it stays very, very popular, and it's very simple. Yeah, and people think of Louisiana, and they think of alligators. So Absolutely. Definitely. Okay, well, let's educate them. Alligator sightings are not uncommon in coastal Louisiana. The easiest way to see one, or many, is to visit Jean Lafitte National Park's Barataria Unit or Bayou Sauvage National Wildlife Refuge. During the warm months, alligators are abundant along their waterways. That said, alligators may be seen virtually anywhere there is water, including canals inside the levees. Where do they go during the cold winter months? The average person probably thinks they, quote, hibernate. They actually brumate. That is, they react to a cold environment by slowing their metabolic activity, but certainly not to the deep torpor of true hibernation. Let me stop you right there, Dad. Can you tell our listeners a little more about the difference between hibernation and brumation? Well, we all grew up hearing about hibernating bears and hibernating this and hibernating that. Hibernation, the true biological meaning of hibernation is that an animal does slow down its metabolic activity so that it can become completely inactive. There's only one bird in the United States that hibernates. There's uh, uh, What uh, is it? It's the common poor will. Cool. And, uh, but there are a number of mammals, not very many, but there are a number of mammals. And when they hibernate, they slow their metabolic activity down so deeply with such uh, enormous amounts of times between heartbeats and, and uh, respiration. Uh, that if you dig one up, say, when you're doing work in your yard, uh, you think it's dead, uh, you bring it inside, you put it in a box inside the house, and it may take 
four, five, six hours for that animal to, to come out of that torpor and to be active. Now, contrast that to brumation, and that's why biologists defined brumation, is that a snake, a snake is uh, deep under a log, somebody digs it out in the middle of the winter, and it, it'll start moving a little bit. And if you put it in a bag and put it in a car, literally within 15 or 20 minutes, it's active, completely active. So they come out of their the tarpers not as deep, gotcha. uh, but they have slowed their metabolic activity to be able to get through. So brumation is a much lighter form of, of hibernation. But, but as an example, everybody thinks that bears hibernate. Bears do not hibernate. Bears brumate during the winter. They become very inactive. I mean, a female bear normally has her babies during the winter, maybe in a cave in Louisiana. They just go to sleep under a fallen tree. Wow. You can see them from the air. And if you went in and uh, uh, they get up and urinate during the winter. So if, uh, if you stumbled on one, let's say in a covered area, and let's say you went up and kicked it to see if it, if it would react it might just turn around and tear you apart so you, because it's not in a deep state of torpor. So you said they're adaptive, so it, it totally depends on the latitude of where mm-hmm. the reptile is located. Yeah, yeah. And you've said tarper and tarpid a couple of times. Can you elaborate on exactly what that means? Uh, well, tarpid simply means that they're inactive. You, you can, if you want to see tarper in, in the, the south— <laughs> or anywhere for that matter, if you're around hummingbirds, you'll notice that you know hummingbirds have an incredible speed that, that they're moving their wings up and down and in and out and, and in figure eight type things so they can hover. And, and you'll, you'll see them buzzing around, boom, 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 and then all of a sudden you'll see one light on a twig. And it may sit there and move the head around a little bit and flick its tongue in and out, but it'll also go into what we call a state of torpor where it all of a sudden it drops its metabolic activity rapidly and just sits there and sort of recovers, and then it takes off again. So TARPER is just, uh, is just a, another uh, light term for reducing your metabolic activity and becoming inactive. It's what I do every day when I get home and watch the news. <laughs> I sit in my happy chair, and, and I, I, I become, uh, go into a state of TARPER. Okay, so the gator used the sun for energy during the day and became tarpid at night to save energy. Thanks for that clarification. Now, back to alligators. Alligators are reptiles and are not warm-blooded. They have the ability to live in water as cool as 40 degrees Fahrenheit, although weaker animals may die at that temperature. They may, however, be very active in 40 degrees Fahrenheit weather by using behavioral adjustments. I was visiting the Tulane University Museum of Natural History at the Tulane A-Bear Center one winter. It was a cold, sunny day. There were no leaves on the trees and very little green on vegetation on the ground. I was wearing a stocking hat and a warm coat. As I was leaving, I saw a pond and wanted a photograph. I stepped past a small ledge. I heard a loud hiss at my ankle level and instinctively sprang forward. When I looked back, I found that the sound came from a very active alligator sitting in the entrance of a burrow. The opening was facing the sun. Although air temperature was rather low, the alligator was situated in a microclimate that was much warmer and it was very active and alert. My sudden appearance startled it and the gator was defending its territory. Wow, I did not expect that encounter on a midwinter day. 
What is the norm for our alligators during winter? Do they remain active or do they consistently brumate all winter, becoming active during milder temperatures? To cut to the chase, they brumate. The alligator at the Bear Center became active because the sunlight shining on the water at the entrance to its burrow daily warmed its environs. At night, the water cooled and the gator became torpid. Do they all use burrows? No, but many do. Some of the burrows are in banks and the alligator's lair is above the water table, so it rests in a musty little room. Others may be below water, but alligators that use these have to surface for air. These alligator holes, as they are called, are most often used during drought periods. If they dry, the alligator moves to another body of water. Typically, alligators hide by simply submerging and lying on the bottom. Under normal active conditions, they can hold their breath for up to an hour. When resting in the water, they may either float on the surface or be supported by vegetation, or they may lie on the bottom, slowly rising to the surface when they need a breath. The northernmost record for the American alligator is in Virginia. Alligators in the northern extent of the range have to annually endure cold temperatures and at least periodically deal with frozen surfaces. One study found that alligators in frozen habitats function as they do in warmer waters. They may become inactive and lie on the bottom in several feet of water, occasionally slowly lifting their heads with their nostrils breaking the ice. Since this is done periodically, as infrequently as every six to eight hours, an opening in the ice indicates the possible presence of a brumating alligator. As expected, the opening may thinly ice over between sniffs in the reference study, the researcher reached into the water through the opening and touched the inactive alligator on the nose. One source said that alligators in freezing conditions usually rest with their snout above water and their back in the frozen ice. This is called the icing response. Of course, prolonged cold periods or temperatures dropping below 40 degrees Fahrenheit may result in death for the alligator. In general, alligators avoid winter temperatures the way we do. They remain in insulated environs such as burrows or in water, which change temperature much more slowly than does the air. They do not choose to remain in very cold situations or in iced over water, but their ability to radically slow their metabolic activity may allow them to survive for another season. So, Dad, you're a herpetologist, so you're talking about how alligators react in colder temperatures. But what about other reptiles like, I don't know, turtles and snakes and lizards? Mm -hmm. Well, they all have their own little way of getting through the winter. And, of course, we're in the deep south where it doesn't really get that cold. Uh, certainly totally different strategies in the far north, up in Michigan and southern Canada and places like that. But down here, most of the animals brumate. They become inactive, and the way snakes do it is that they typically use uh, uh, crawfish holes. They crawl down crawfish holes, and they coil up. They're down far enough down where they're insulated from really severe uh, temperature changes, and they just sit there and relax. And But they're also very sensitive to changes on the surface, like if you have those really strange warm days in the middle of winter, they'll come up. And they'll sit on a log and soak up the sun's rays or go coil up at the base of a tree. Uh, or they'll just sit under a log that's warmed up itself. So, so it's all adaptive. It's about how they behaviorally adapt to cold weather. 
Uh, our turtles do sort of the same thing. They frequently will will uh, bury themselves in the mud on the bottom of a bayou, and uh, and on a warm day they become active, and you'll see them sitting on logs soaking up the, the rays. Yeah, so it sounds to me like they are thermoregulating. They're regulating oh, their temperature um, when they're brumating. Okay. Absolutely, and so the, you know lizards that are under bark on a tree will come out and sit on top of the bark, and uh, so all reptiles uh, have to deal with cold weather in the south. But it's nothing like what has to happen up north. Yeah. Some, some of the, the uh, painted turtles uh, in southern Canada have been experimentally demonstrated that they have uh, little particles in their system that are called cryptoprotectants that, uh, that actually work like antifreeze. And they, they actually freeze solid cool. and live through periods of time. And then they thaw out and they're active again. It's amazing. That's really cool. We learned a lot of things from what you just read, and I think that's people are just fascinated by alligators. I mean, that's all there yeah. is to it, and they uh, I think it has to do with like a healthy fear of alligators and hearing stories of alligators attacking humans. But I mean, really, think about that doesn't happen that often, right? I mean, no. tell us a little bit more. It's rare, and uh, but but people are fascinated by these animals simply because they're so mysterious. And, and matter of fact, there's a whole industry in, in coastal Louisiana and other coastal states uh, that are called swamp tours. Mm. And people go on those swamp tours for one purpose, not necessarily to see a swamp. They want to see alligators. They want to see alligators, right. And, uh, and, and down here they normally do because we literally, because of our uh, uh, ingenious biologically based uh, management system for alligators, they've come back from the brink of extinction uh, to be extremely common. And I can tell you this. Early in my career, when I was an undergraduate in college, I would go out seeking alligators and rarely find them. Today, I see them just driving through New Orleans in mm, canals, cool. in City Park, any place that I go where there's water. Well, what you just mentioned seems like um, is a nature note in and of itself about oh. how we manage it. So could we mm -hmm. do a nature note on that? Absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, I want to just share a personal story um, about alligators. And really, I'm just going to set the scene because this is the story that I know from my parents telling me over and over again. When we were little, um, we used to go with friends to um, the right below Interstate 55 and go water skiing. And one time I was going to do it by myself finally, but I wouldn't do it. And so I needed my dad to help me. You know, I don't know. How old was I? Maybe seven, eight years old? Probably. Pretty young. And um, so I'm going to let Dad tell the rest of the story because it's really his story. <laughs> well, we were out. It was a beautiful day uh, in spring, bright sunlight, but still cool, chilly. The water was a bit chilly. And uh, and we were all, you know, properly attired in our in our. Uh, safety gear. Our life jackets, yeah. Our life jackets, and uh, so we were we were uh, either water skiing or, or riding on a disc that was pulled by the boat. I think it was a disc. And yeah. For you, it was a disc. We wanted you to get on the disc by yourself and and take a ride, and you were afraid to do that. And you said, uh, "I'll only do it if Dad gets in the water and holds on to me until I get started." So I jumped in the water, and she jumped in the water, and she got on the board, and the boat started to pull her away, and away they went. And so I'm floating out in the middle of, of a, a gigantic canal right below the interstate and uh, just hanging in the water with my eyes closed, enjoying the moment. And then I thought, you know, it would be terrible if something like a cottonmouth came swimming across here and bumped into me and bit me. <laughs> uh, so I, um, I started just moving one of my hands to just turn around 180 to take a look at what was behind me. And when I did, 
about 50 feet away was a large alligator mm. head right on the surface, a large one, like 12 <laughs> feet long, which is a very <laughs> large alligator. And, uh, and he was just sitting there looking at me. Now, at the time, I had red hair, red beard. I think my head looked like a nutria floating on the, on the surface <laughs> of the water. And uh, so I just kept watching him. And then he would swim a little bit closer to me and stop and watch, swim a little bit closer. So I started talking to him. And then I... What would you tell him? We got into a deep conversation <laughs> because I told him that I was a herpetologist and that I loved alligators and that I did a lot of things to try to conserve their populations. <laughs> and I was explaining it to me and he got literally 15 feet away and then suddenly disappeared below the surface of the water. And I, that's what I didn't want. I was in 20 feet of water. I didn't want a 12-foot alligator But you can't see the bottom. Me. You can't that's even right. see your hand in front no, of you, really. No, not at all. So, uh, and then at that instant, the boat came by at oh. 40 miles an hour <laughs> with my family in it. And they were laughing because they could see it as they approached oh, this gosh. alligator and I were having an encounter. And uh, so after I got in the boat and we relaxed, <laughs> it became a great story for our family. But uh, I, the alligator probably would not have bothered me, but he was curious. curious I mean, yeah. it just imagine what an auburn beard and hair uh, sitting on the surface of the water looks like to an alligator. It a looks big, like potential juicy prey. Juicy meal. That's right. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that story. It's it's one of my favorite uh, Thomas stories that we hear um, from time to time. So, you know. Let's let's wrap up our first nature note and um, and by encouraging you again to go back and visit our nature mm-hmm. notes um, on our website because there are hundreds of them and um, we're going to be reading these to you um, through this podcast once a month but you can get ahead and you can go and read them you can also send us information through our social media um, you can send us emails and and if there's something that we don't address in our nature notes let us know if you're curious about it and we'll be happy to um, do our sleuthing and find out what the information is and share the natural history with you but um, just to, to leave for today we want to remind you don't forget to look up look down look all around to learn about nature and visit our website at lucec.loyno.edu. See you next month. Bye.